some steam venom. I'd like to take his his face. Welcome back to the Fundamentals of Action 101. Uh, we're here for another class. Class is in session. Everybody settle down, turn off your cell phones. Well, not you listening, just Sarah in the back. We are here to talk about the next movie on the syllabus. That movie is The Adventures of Tintin, which came out October 25th, 2011. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. It starred the voices of Jamie Bell, Andy Serkis, Daniel Craig, Nick Frost, and Simon Pegg. It had a budget of $135 million and box office returns of $374 million. So, just a quick synopsis of the film. It is about a plucky reporter named Tintin, who has the curiosity level on 10, who buys a boat at a yard sale for a very cheap price and trouble befalls him pretty much immediately after he purchases his boat he ends up in an adventure hence the title and he goes from london to north africa back to london with a lot of crashes explosions gunfire and running along the way Um, he meets some friends he escapes some natural disasters he has himself a a, a, an exciting time from uh, point a to point b um, but that is the rough, short synopsis of Adventures of Tintin. Uh, Sarah, I call on you to find out what you thought of the film in general. Well, I would say it's definitely different from the last assignment of Face Off. Yes, yes, it is. A little departure, if you will. Uh, yes, indeed. No one's faces are coming off for one. No, there was no nobody's faces came off. There were a lot of gunshots though, so there there was the overlap. Surprisingly, for a film like this, but we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I think it was it was fun. It was definitely a change. The stakes were high, but it still felt like there was some comedy. There was some action. There was adventure. Had a lot of good elements. The animation was very well done, of course, with, with some of those millies. They put it to good use, I think. Indeed. Those two, my fa- my side favorites are probably those two uh, klutzy cops. Thompson and Thompson. Thompson and Thompson. They're probably my characters that I, I stand, my secondary stand characters of the week. I just love when they're in a room full of wallets. In a kleptomaniac <laughs> thief's house, and they're like, "I don't understand. Look at all these wallets. How fun! We must find a pickpocketer. Where is he?" Because they were slandering pickpocket, and he got offended because he 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 didn't see himself as just a mere pickpocket. He was a kleptomaniac. It's a bigger deal than just that. I, mean, I understood his his go, but the the two cops, how much they played that they were just so absent-minded. I'm like, okay, we get it, but you guys are fun. I enjoy it. They played it heavy this time. My favorite character, Snowy. Oh, yeah. Snowy does does do great work. Snowy the dog. It's technically Snowy's film. Snowy's the protagonist, for sure. Snowy's the bravest dog I've ever seen. All this history about Lassie and some of these other, the rescue dogs in the house. No, you're not Snowy. Snowy should go in the history books, for sure. He can do anything. Any and everything. And he does. Wait, then again, is Snowy a, a guy? Are we misgendering Snowy? I don't know. I thought Snowy gave off a masculine vibe, maybe. But I don't want to. I don't want to put a gender on if it, it didn't exist. It did say boy. So what's what's going on, boy? So yeah, Snowy's a guy. Just double checking. That's the real machismo energies from from Snowy in this movie. You, we did see Snowy punk out a Rottweiler 
there was some masculine energy. I don't know if it reached Travolta Cage level of machismo, but no, it was it was high on the machismo scale. That was that was more safe for um, the captain Haddock. Haddock was probably the most masculine thing. Alcoholic machismo energy. I didn't want to bring up alcoholism that quickly, but yes, he was an alcoholic. My take on the film, I originally saw it in 2011 in theaters. I really enjoyed it back then. I thought the ending fell a little flat on first watch back in 2011. I felt it was a great film up until the ending because I didn't like how quickly it got tied up. Watching it again this time is different. I noticed more of the technical elements and how the story was being told visually. How the camera would spin and twist. Well, the it's not a camera since it's animated, but the angles that they showed you, or, or the transitions where I think they they had one where they had a handshake, which transitioned into a hill that they walked over in Bagar. I was more appreciative of those technical aspects this time around, and I didn't mind the ending as much. So, in a sense, I think this film got better. In that regard, I do feel that it was moving on 10,000 miles a minute. I would say from roughly the beginning to about when it got to North Africa, uh, I just felt it needed to slow down a little bit. It felt like somebody was hopped up on coffee and, and some narcotics. They, they really just pushed the pace on it. I wanted to slow down a little bit, but that was my only minor gripe. I think Mr. Spielberg was probably the one on the, on the much doses of coffee. He's probably like faster, faster. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. Because it, it just, there was too much going on. Uh, in, in a row. You had the action that was going on in the main story. Then you had a flashback with a whole pirate sequence. That Even that part was like, oh God. But then you also had the side plot of the pickpockets. I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that because that was a little slower. It was like a break. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take a good B story. I'll take a good B story in an adventure. If, if it doesn't take up too much of my my RAM, my mental memory unit. And it didn't. It was just, a, it was quickly tied up. Thompson and Thompson got him. Game over. And then Thompson and Thompson came to the rescue at the end. Would you really call that the rescue? Well, I mean, they, they did more than they've ever done with that pickpocketer. They actually were like, okay, I think we're, we're in the right destination. They realized that quicker than they realized that they were in the pickpocket's house. Fair, fair. Well, that's because they had information from Tintin to look for the wallet. I was just surprised that they followed the trail properly because it didn't make them sound like very good cops. But I guess everything goes quickly so you can get your better education, your schooling in hour 45. Yeah. Yeah. Their progression from bumbling to adequate was a good uh, character development for them. And I mean, you needed it. You need because it was so fast. You needed a little break. That's true. I agree. I agree. So this film I know it was kind of ruined by the title of it, but this type of action film would be considered an adventure. Die Hard was more of like a classic in-one-location action film. Uh, Hannah was more of the, art- we would call it artistic, artistic uh, action. Face Off would be excess, uh, you know, Hollywood excess to almost to a, a certain degree. And then this is just would be considered adventure, where it's more of a, even though there was blood, in it, uh, it's very minimal. People just shoot, 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 nobody gets killed. That's something along the lines of adventure where it feels loose across the board in terms of uh, human body stakes. Uh, like case in point, the guys uh, in the plane when Tintin crashed in the desert, those two bad guys got out 
and floated down to the sand safely. Most of the guys on the boat, they just got pushed overboard. Even though bullets were flying left and right, nobody really died. That's that's kind of one of the hallmarks of films like this, of adventure films, action adventure films. Is no one really dies. Even if they do die, it's nothing grisly. They'll just like do like a death scream and just go off of a ledge and you just won't see them land. And there's, all, there's also a, a general balance of comedy. It's, sort, it's not necessarily, the deaths aren't playful laughs, but some of the, the action sequences are where they're punching people. You know, somebody will, will remark, oh, I didn't know I had this much power. Oh, look at this. There'll be faces made and the audience can laugh at what's going on because it's, the stakes necessarily aren't as high. There's, there's more peril versus actual fear of death. Right. It's more about the adventure than murdering people. Right. So that's kind of where Tintin and films like Tintin, that's sort of the level where they are. We, uh, we would call those adventures. Did you choose this film because it was a different genre than we've studied previously? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, did, I just wanted to go in the animated direction. There are definitely some, some gems in the animated sector. And I felt that this one, especially, I don't, I don't hear many people talking about this film with any reverence or even just in the, you know, people like to go nostalgia farming. Not many people mention this film. So I wanted to bring it up because I remembered the experience that I had in the theater watching it. So I wanted to bring it up for you to see. So that way you at least see something I would consider from the upper echelon of adventure films, one and two animated films. Yeah, I think that it was a good choice. I think it's it is definitely action packed. That's that's for sure. Spielberg definitely had all of the elements of an action film in place: car chases, pirate sequences where we have sword fights, explosions, many many explosions. They had that final fight, which is similar to a lot of these action films, where there's like a confrontation, and it's, it mirrors it mirrors an earlier battle. Yes. Yes. Then you also, you also have the plane as well. You have to get all the vehicles in play. That's another thing with adventures as well. You have to be, you have to get every single vehicle in play. Uh, planes, trains, automobiles, any, any and every type of bit of transportation you can find, it will usually be found in an adventure film. Also the classic, how did they survive action trope? Which, um, which part? Every time they get into some sort of gunshot, I'm going to get knocked over by this boat. I'm going to get crashed by this giant tractor thing glass everywhere yeah. there's just a lot of stuff where you're like how did you live yeah yeah but that, but in the world of animation i kind of give them i give them breaks well also because the rules are sort of set up as the film goes along like with um the guy getting shot the american guy uh getting shot poor poor uh poor officer of the law when oh the interpol guy the bullets come through the door and you know he just the door opens he slot he slumps down and then Tintin tells the lady, oh, a, a man's been shot at the door. Call the police. And she's like, ugh, again? That kind of gives you that understanding of like, okay, this is sort of how it's going to go. But first of all, Tintin must lead a very dangerous life if people just keep getting shot on their doorstep. I was going to say, he's, he's lived seeing those newspaper headlines in that montage. He looks very suspiciously young for a guy who's that busy and has that many headlines. Baby-faced crime fighter. He, he looked like he's 14. I, I had a hard time pinning down his age. Teenage crime fighter. He, he, he looked like one. Uh, but I was like, why is he living alone? Where are his parents? Snowy's got him. He's good. Snowy's mom and dad. 
You're right. Snowy's giving him all he needs. He can cut him off of ropes. He can chew the ropes, let him free, take scrolls from dangerous falcons. Without without having to be told. Yeah, what do you need human parents for? That's true. Who needs who needs a, a significant other when you've got Snowy? Where's my Snowy? Everybody needs a Snowy. And this, what's funny is that he, it, thankfully, this film didn't necessarily force a love interest, like a lot of adventures do. He only cared about Snowy. Like he, there was no focus in looking at anybody else. There was no eye candy for him to look at. Also, he cared about the captain. There was love for the captain. More toward the end than anything else. Once he got to know him, he he was wanting to be there for Captain Fish. I think I think more so once he got silver. After he dried out the desert, he kind of that's when it sort of changed. Yeah, I think the I was so confused by like when because I guess he recalled things when he was sober. But then he needed more alcohol to, re- to get more things cleared up. And he, but in earlier, the alcohol made him lose his memory. Well, he was soaked in it. That's why. Mm. Like, he, he didn't need to be flooded. Like, his whole system didn't need to be flooded with it. You know, like how some people with coffee, to tie back to the beginning, uh, some people with coffee, you know, they just need a little hit of caffeine in the morning just to get themselves going. Do you think Spielberg was doing shots of espresso before he decided uh, to keep speeding up the movie? <laughs> I think so. Or maybe he just uh, maybe put it at one point two five speed and just let it run and only slowed it down after a while. He just needed one jolt, so maybe there was some sort of a whiskey shot every time getting more booze got brought up. Yeah, maybe all maybe all the people involved got um, they all taking uh, hits to the head of some of their favorite spirits. Man, I guess if you can draw better while doing while being drunk, go off. The, I mean, well, the, the I will give credit to. The CGI, like this, this is probably some of the best CGI I've ever seen uh, from top to bottom. Even though these people are cartoon characters, there was a certain realism to everything, like their skin, the, the hair, like the details of it all. Uh, some of the proportions were a little weird because I, I think they wanted to try to do a, a mashup of the Tintin style with like real human faces. And it kind of, there's almost a little bit of Uncanny Valley there. There was a little bit where the style was there and you could see the roundness that wasn't necessarily human, but it worked out. It meshed enough that it was believable. Like the size of the hands seemed a little large. But, but you could say, you could see it in the beginning when they did the, um, when Tintin was sitting for the picture and the guy drew, he drew the, the cartoon picture of him and then you see his his real face and I'm like, oh, this is, there's this disconnect there. It's like, okay, but I, I... Yeah, I think that it was hilarious that uh, they were I'm like, oh, the call to the original piece is like right in the beginning. That that technically wasn't the actual, that wasn't the guy um, who originally created Tintin, but it, it was just a lookalike. They, it's, it's a fr- uh, one named Frenchman, I believe, that created Arbe? the book, right? Yeah. What's well, a comic or like a graphic novel? I can't remember what it is technically. Oh, it was, I think it was just a... Um, like a kid's book? Comic book strip. It was originally like something that was uh, in the newspapers every day. It was like a couple panels. It would, be, it would tell a very slow story. I remember, I remember when it was in the Daily News, like the Sunday comics, whenever I would always get the paper. I'm really dating myself by saying getting the paper. I would get the Sunday paper, and the comic section would wrap around the entire paper. And I would, you know, flip through it. That was, like, the most important thing for me to read. Like, I don't care about world news. Uh, sports came second. It was all comics first. So Tintin was amongst some of those comics. So I would see little storyline of what would happen with Tintin on Sundays. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But th- that he wasn't my guy. I had a few other comic strips that I like to read first. 
but I I knew he was in the in the paper. I also would seek out when my parents and my grandparents would get a com- like the paper, and I would take out the comic section and read Peanuts and Garfield first. Obviously, maybe Kathy because I already felt like I was going to be her in older age. Um, and then I think yeah, I remember vaguely seeing Tintin as well. It was also an animated show. I think on um, public uh, public broadcasting system PBS. The snowy wasn't as as ba as he was in this though, so it's not the same. It's not worth it. This is the true meaning of snowy. The true his true work. This is the pinnacle of snowy. Like this is this is very important. That snowy gets his time to shine to be really the protagonist that he was always meant to be. I mean, I really do wish they did a sequel. I know they lined it up at the end of this movie. I completely one hundred percent agree. You only have to create a new villain. That's it. You've got you've got your main three guys: Haddock, Tintin, and, and Snowy. You just find some other antagonists along the way. You can still have the same action sequences across the board, and you've got yourself a winner. I, I don't understand why they didn't make a, another one, because considering how much money this would make, I think they expected it to make more. So they probably were like, "We don't want to. We need more money than this. It's not worth it." I don't think they did that great a job of promoting it when it was out, but I mean, especially with all this nostalgia farming, people remembering things from their yesteryear, I feel like Tintin should have easily gotten a sequel, even if even if it was just two years later. I think we just have nostalgia for different things, I think. Maybe it wasn't as beloved in America as it is in other countries. Oh, I think, well, yeah. that's. I think they made most of their money overseas because Tintin's a bigger deal overseas. He's a big deal in Europe. I think he's a big, bigger deal in uh, the North African countries. I think a little bit of Asia, but mostly Europe. Tintin's a big deal. Him and Lupin are pretty much like one and two, or two and one, depending on what you're looking for in terms of fictional lead characters. I mean, Adventures of Garfield as a movie probably wouldn't give you as much action. There'd just be a lot of lasagna and laziness. Well, I think America would find a way to make it an adventure that. I wouldn't want to watch. So I think it would just be really sassy. I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be an action movie. I think it would be a comedy because he would just. It would just be him. Like there'd be like this huge issue that apparently Garfield would have to fix. And you'd be like, no. They they made Garfield movies. Well, they made animated. I mean, like a similarly CGI'd version. Did they? Maybe it was it was live action plus CGI. So Garfield was CGI with human characters around him. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. Maybe I didn't seek it out. I'm assuming it flopped. Well, they made three of them, so I don't know how hard they flopped. Um, and I think the first Garfield, uh, the voice of Bill Murray. Oh, I I think I do remember that. I just prefer that the animated TV show was really was where my speed was. Agreed. Um, I wanted to bring up some of the behind the scenes talent, which I feel helped make this film as good as it, as good as it was, um, because this this isn't just a Spielberg thing. I, I can't give Spielberg all the credit for this film. Some of the production was Peter Jackson, a.k.a. the guy from Lord of the Rings, Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water, uh, Hellboy, and a few other films. So I'm sure that his input was in there 100%. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy was also involved. She is a big producer on most of the Star Wars films. Another key piece to this uh, was the screenplay, which was written by Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish. Those guys are known for the Cornetto trilogy, a.k.a. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, which is a very entertaining trilogy of films. Um, I would call them action, comedy. There's a little bit of horror in some of it. 
Um, Hot Fuzz is actually a send up on action films. So that may or may not make a, uh, an appearance in this class. And also Edgar Wright did Baby Driver, which is another action film. Like he did Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He did Ant-Man. Well, he did most of Ant-Man until they had some guy come and finish it up for him. I think those four people behind the scenes helping Spielberg craft this adventure, I feel like that sort of up the level of quality on the finished product because I don't, I don't think Spielberg would have had those visuals without these guys helping. And also the voice talent. I think those voices were pretty well thought out. Uh, Frost and Peg were Thompson and Thompson and they have a, they're tied in with Edgar Wright. So I'm sure they had the dialogue down pat. Like they, they could all work together and just get the dialogue down pat. Daniel Craig, I think was a favor. Uh, Spielberg wanted Craig to be the bad guy. What was the bad guy's name again? Uh, Saccharin. Spielberg wanted Craig to be Saccharin. Andy Sir- and Andy Serkis, uh, Tour de Force performance again. I th- I'm not sure he did. He didn't do, um, motion capture, but it, it almost looked like he did. You could see the emotion on the guy's face, uh, in certain sequences, the, the anguish of him trying to remember, just some of the mannerisms. Uh, one of my favorite sequences, which we'll get to, there was a part in one of the sequences where he ended up wearing a dress. And he was ch- running down a hill. And I remember him picking up the hems of the, of the, he was lifting up the dress so it wouldn't drag on the ground. And for some reason, that just made me laugh out loud. Uh, it's just small stuff for Captain Haddock that really did it for me. I just love when the belch of the booze got the plane some sort of gas, fuel, etc. That, that's adventure. Things like that happen where you, things that would never work in real life. Uh, but in an adventure film, they just happen. He did because the kid said fumes, so he just he tied it together. Said fumes, I got it. It was and it was a throwback to the original, not original, but the the sequence on the boat where he breathed on Tintin's face, and you know Tintin just you know recoiled like, oh my god, you know you stink. But it showed that the fumes were very strong with him. So I want to talk about the sequence, the action sequence when they got out of Bogar and they're going down the hill and. Haddock, of course, stupidly shoots the rocket launcher in the wrong direction and busts open the dam. Um, I'm sure creating millions of dollars, maybe even billions of dollars in infrastructure costs. Um, but what did you think of that sequence from the top of that hill all the way down to the bottom? I was like, things are just getting wrecked. And they're just like, all right, got to keep going. We're going to come in the city and wreck it, Ralph. There were tanks. Hotels got moved. Full fronts of hotels, and he puts the star back on to make it a third star, which made me laugh. Yeah, was, there's no way that's a third, three star hotel now. Or even they a one. Kill that, kill that on TripAdvisor. We've got a bad Yelp review after that. But I, I, I feel, in terms of action films, that sequence is probably top five. Oh, wow. It didn't stand out to me as much. Maybe now I'm not seeing, uh, I'm now just like brainwashed to be like, oh, just another one. You, you, got, you, can't, you can't just, you can't zoom past that one because I, I feel the way that it was choreographed to keep everything on screen, even though the angles were changing around it, you were able to keep a nice, you were able to keep a handle on all the people involved. I think the bird, yeah, the, the all the elements with the bird, the falcon. Yeah, the bird, the dog, um, Tintin and Haddock, and Saccharin and his guys. To have all of them making their way downhill while the water's rushing through. You've got property damage left and right. You've got tanks. You've got gunshots. You've got 
people falling off a vehicle. Um, I, I think it all tied together very well. I feel like it's one of the top five action sequences I would say in any film. For to me, because of the the way that it was shot the, and everything that was going on, to me, there, it's rare that you find anything that exhilarating. The final scene to me, because it mirrored the pirate stuff and the final battle on the ship before Sacrin's ancestor dying and saying, I'm going to meet you in, a, in a, a newer life and we're going to do this again. And then voila, they do it again. But in a more modern setting, these giant whack-a-mole claw, I felt like I was playing an arcade game, just trying to whack stuff, just trying to play chicken, knock somebody over. I thought like the music and everything, I thought that was pretty epic final battle that you can get away with in like an animated role. I don't think you can necessarily get away with that much damage. I mean, maybe you can. Maybe it's very Fast and the Furious or Face Off-esque. Maybe. But yeah, that for me, that I don't think that... It didn't do it for me as much as the other did, in my opinion. Um, I, I think I got it more so the second time around. But like, oh, these guys are technically sword fighting with cranes. I get it now. Even still, the second time around, just seeing how quickly um, Saccharin got arrested it didn't bother me as much, but it, it bothered me very, very slightly. It's like, ah, eh, you shouldn't be in a position where you're just, you know, putting up your hands meekly to Thompson and Thompson. I feel like you should be subdued in some way. Yeah, I was like, what are Thompson and Thompson going to do? They haven't shown you that they can, like, fight. Yeah, well, I don't need them. I don't need them to fight, per se. I just, you know, maybe have, maybe have other police officers there as well. Right. I was like, can they have some backup? Because I don't trust them to catch the criminal. Like, the real arresting officers would be there and holding the holding him and then thompson and thompson say you're under arrest or you know do the whole get reading reading him his rights that just reminded me for some reason of the beginning when they're seeing the the when tintin is showing them the clues from the dead interpol guy the bloody newspaper and he's trying to spell out the boat um, right and one of the one of the thompsons was like oh canes are half off too like that whole like back and forth of them just reading the the ads about bowler hats and canes as the comedic break. They're, they're, they're uh, I don't want to call them Laurel and Hardy, but there's a... There's definitely a nod to that, though, in the in the outfits. Yeah, definitely. And the, and the fact that they're twins. And both named Thompson. There's always this idea that, you know, oh, I, I met you first. No, I met you first. Um, to, to sort of signify that maybe they're not twins. Right. I was confused. I was like, do they, do they mean meet when they got out of the womb? Or do they mean meet in life and they both just happen to look the same and have the same last name? Um, I, see, that's the thing. I think that's the shtick. You, you're not supposed to know if they're actually identical twins or if they are just people who look identical. Split up at birth. Yeah, something like that. Or, you know, single white female. I think it was in that sequence that you're talking about, the, the action sequence, when Tintin is kind of using the clotheslines as the way yes. to accelerate the chase. Well, I don't think he had any choice. His motorcycle and sidecar broke down. I just love that the, the motorcycle continues to like deteriorate as it goes down the clothesline and then he's left with nothing but the line itself. Right. Right. But I, I like that I like that breakdown of you know, it was a, it was a motorcycle with a sidecar. Normally in adventure films the sidecar always gets detached from the motorcycle. You can you can count on it a hundred times out of a hundred. If there's a sidecar, the sidecar gets detached. Always. And then, oh yeah, then Tintin's bike blows up, and it's just the front wheel, and then he's sliding down. Yeah, so yeah, but you're right. That's that's how these things go, and I like how the story of that happening gets told. Agreed. I like the progression. Because it's also not an orthodox way of telling. It's not just a straightforward, 
oh, we're just going to follow this down from the top angle and just show you everything from the top angle. Like, either the way that it's edited together, like, even the sequence where, um, uh, Saccharin and the guys, they're at the, they're in a, um, a little pathway and they see the bird and they're about to go get the bird. But then Tintin comes sliding through in a cloud of spice to grab at the birds, uh, the scrolls and the birds' claws. Um, the fact that the bird had one in its mouth and two in its hand, and then they eventually get all three and don't get all three. And like, I, I liked how that was all portrayed on screen. Yeah, I liked the different elements of that. It didn't, it felt like it was going fast, but you could still catch all of the points of drama. Right. right. And I think Spielberg wasn't on, he probably wasn't allowed to be on the coffee at that point. They probably said, Steve, we got this. So we'll let you have soda, but like one of like maybe seltzer, like some minimal sugar. Yeah, they told me to have a seat. Have a seat and drink your LaCroix. I don't think they have a quite right thing. I know. I thought of that as I said it, and I was like, well, there's got to be some seltzer equivalent. They might, they might have just had seltzer water, which is old, you know, plain seltzer. True. That's as old as time. All right. So back to it. Um, were there any questions that you had regarding Tintin in terms of an action film or was everything pretty much straightforward? Yeah, I think the questions I had, we sort of answered in the, in the conversation so far. Okay. Was there anything that you did not like? No, I mean, I think it was, like you said, I think the ending, it was tied up very neatly, very quickly, but I didn't necessarily mind it. I like the length of it. I think it is a nice setup for the sequel. If, you know, one day they decide because it's animation, you can kind of do it whenever. Mm-hmm. Maybe some voices will change, but I'm sure you can find a Daniel Craig-esque voice to bring back Haddock. I think Tintin's voice would be the problem. Yeah, you'd have to find somebody similar in that regard. But I'm sure you can find a young, red-headed British boy. Probably. Probably, you're right. I think the only thing for me would be the tonal... There were some tonal inconsistencies, so it's kind of hard. Like, in my head, I was trying to pin down what age group is this movie really for? Like, who's who's supposed to watch this? I'd say it's like a family film, no? It could be, but I don't know if... I don't know if families would watch this. This doesn't have this. This doesn't have that magnetic cuteness that certain Disney films have, or it doesn't have that clear cut like, oh, this is a kids film. It might be more of like a young, like a preteen level. And usually at that point, the parents sort of check out. They let the preteen kind of watch that on its own. But there were there were some tonal inconsistencies, just more with the violence, in my opinion. I just didn't think there were jokes made for adults necessarily in this either. There was there was one, but it was a visual gag when um, I think they were chasing the pickpocket and they helped the old lady up. There was a, they, were, they, had bumped, they had crashed into an old lady and then they did the bit with the uh, the bird circling his head. As she was getting up, one of the guys was wiping her back down and then he started wiping her butt. Like he hit her butt like twice with his hand and then she turned around and started smashing, uh, hitting him with her, uh, her purse. That was probably the, the closest thing to an adult moment that you have there. I didn't even catch it. So clearly it wasn't made for <laughs> me to catch adult <laughs> references. Yeah, I, I, I saw that one. I, I laughed at that one. I was like, oh, that's that's the throwback to me for something like Benny Hill or like uh, old British comedies. You know, there's, there's that level of, you got to watch everything. These the, There was some tonal inconsistencies because, you know, the whole idea of like, there was a level of suspense in the early going and then you get a point where Tintin's carrying a gun. And you know how certain families are about... Because Tintin looks like a kid. And then all of a sudden, this kid pulls out a, a piece. Uh, and, he, you know, he's, he's, he's shooting back at all these uh, bad guys. I'm like, uh, hmm. 
And he has really good aim with that one shot that he has to get at the plane. Yeah, yeah, he is. He was terrible on the boat, but he was a, a marksman in the desert. They're like, what's the good news? He's like, well, I only got one shot. And you're like, oh, so he's supposed to get this shot. He's supposed to be that good. I see. Yeah, and then you have you have an alcoholic uh, sea captain. You know, who who is that marketed to? Kids. Alcohol's bad, kids. <laughs> no, because they see if if they drink, they can power a plane. If they drink, they can get super strong. If they drink, they can come back with old memories from their past life. Exactly. So, so it's kind of hard to see where this gets placed in terms of is it a kids film? Is it a, a preteen film? Is it a teenage film? It doesn't. It doesn't have a clear cut spot for it to land. I mean, obviously that that doesn't take away the excitement level, the enjoyment level for me. But just in terms of where this movie falls in the, I don't want to call it grading system, but in the like, where do you place it? What's its What's its audience? Yeah, what's its audience? What's What's the media? Who are the, Who are the people that the media can send this to to say this is your type of film? Right. To me, because it wasn't really centered towards a particular age group, it kind of got lost right. in some aspects. Yeah, I think it it is a, it is a well made film, but it's just it may not have a specific audience outside of True Tintin fans. True Tintin stands. Yeah, or or Snowy stands. Let's not. That's yeah, I, I'm now a snowy stan. I mean, you have no choice. If I can find my own snowy, can you imagine what kind of mayhem I can get into? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to get profession. You'd have to get profession at shooting. One, snowy can shoot. I'm fine. Two, how good are you at reading by candlelight? I mean, snowy's probably better at any of these skills you're mentioning. Snowy could probably do it. He could probably bark you a whole novel. Bark you war and peace. Probably, probably, and go get your food from the seamless guy at the door. Yeah, yeah, I need my Uber Eats. Smart, smart. Um, okay, so I think we've covered pretty much everything in terms of what Tintin offers, in terms of action tropes. So I guess now we are up to our rating system. So the final rating at the end, from one to five, what's, what's the, uh, what's the rating item? Is it, is it one to five wallets? Yeah, I was going to say one to five kleptomaniacs. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the wallets or one to five snowies? One and one yeah, let's go with the wallets. Let's go with richness. Or the unicorns. One to five unicorns. The boats. One to five ships. You know, I will give it like a four, a four klutzy cops. Four Thompson and Thompson. Four Thompson okay. and Thompsons. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Four TNTs. Four explosives, yeah. They do mention TNT in this movie. They try to explode that door. Yeah, that was that was a very terrible idea. I was like, you know it's going to blow back at you, though, no? They don't They don't know. And the, the, the part when the guy got hit with the corks, he says he's hit. And he, he fell down. And the guy goes... I love a champagne setup. So yeah, four TNTs. Okay, so four TNTs. Um, I might go. I think I'm gonna go four and a half TNTs. Ooh. I was debating between four and four and a half. I, I feel like four and a half. I mean, it's that's that sequence down the hill really did something for me. Like seeing it again, I hadn't seen it in a long time. So seeing that again, I was like, oh my god, this is so amazing. This is so well done. And I, I think I appreciate more of the technical stuff. Like I said before. So I, I, we get back to four and a half. I think I rated it at four, not four and a half, because I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed uh, Hannah. Fair. And so I think I gave Hannah a higher rating. The episode will, when it comes out, will challenge me on this because I don't remember what I said. But <laughs> I think I rated it higher. So I think you did. I did like this movie a lot, you know, but I don't know if I want to give it as high of a rating. That's right. I, I completely get it. Based on the four that we've seen, this is this is definitely second. On, sec, it's probably, probably second or third. I don't know. Would you rank it between Die Hard and this? But I think I like Tintin more than Die Hard for sure, and definitely Face Off is the is the bottom of. 
But we didn't have to. We didn't have to say that out loud. No shame. I mean, I'm already going to get hate that I didn't like Face Off, but it's fine. That's true. I've accepted it. But we'll just give them your personal email, home phone number, and address so they can get to you directly. Social Security, sure. I'll put that in the the show notes. Don't swap me. <laughs> We're going to dox you and put you in the, in the system so we can know. Please don't. Yeah. Um. But that's for me. Like I said, four and a half. I liked Hannah as well. I think Tintin is more my speed, but I can. I know. It's, for me, it's harder to rank one through four because I like all four films. I know I didn't give them all the same rating, but it's for me, it would be a lot tougher to ask, to ask me to pick my tops out of the, the four that we've seen so far. These are all ones that you picked and that you enjoy, so it's like asking to pick your favorite children. For, I mean, obviously, it's Timmy. Timmy's my favorite child. But no, ser- seriously, um, I like all four for different reasons. I would say, I can clearly say that Face Off is the fourth out of the, out of the four. Like in the lower scale. Yeah, but I still like it, but it's just, it's, I, I get it. It doesn't hold up the same way it used to. I, I like it for its, its success, but I also realized how sloppy it was as it was put out for me to watch. Like, I can see the edges. I can see that the level of detail in Tintin makes Face Off look like a preschool project. Maybe it was. It was. <laughs> um, but, like, Die Hard and Hannah, they're... They're both good in their own separate ways, so it's kind of hard to say which is which, which is better than what. There's two different styles. I think Hannah is trying to make changes to the genre as well as Die Hard, but in different ways. Right, but that's that's kind of the, pur- the purpose of this course, is to show the fundamentals of action. This, the, the 101, if you will. <laughs> each, of those cla- each of those films shows a different angle of what action films can do. I don't always pick the best of them for a purpose, but I'm just showing you sort of what each film is capable of. What they can do with a specific premise, what they can do with a specific attention to detail, and maybe what they're doing with a specific point of view. Like, this has more of a European feel. Die Hard is clearly American. Hannah has more of a just a Eurocentric feel. And then Face Off is America and Japan, like, weirdly stitched together in a way that shouldn't work at all. And it barely works for, for most. They're all different styles, but I think they are in different influences. But, you know, the action tropes all overlap in all of these movies, so there is a commonality to them. That is, that is what we're here to learn. Um, and with that, I think we have we've got to the end of our tale. We've gone to the end of our journey. One can say that class is dismissed. We can pack up our things to go. The next film, we're going to be we're going to be exploring cheese. This is uh, action cheese. And you will you'll see why when you watch it. The next film on the list is Commando, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was told that this might be on the list. Yes. <laughs> this one is definitely a, a change of pace. For when he was the governor? Uh definitely. This is this is well before the governor. 1985 film. Oh, that's right. This is earlier. So this is this may be the earliest action film that's on the list. Wait, when was Die Hard? Die Hard was 88, 89? 88. I'm excited to watch The Governor in his early years. Well, this one's also short, so you're, you're lucky on that part. My favorite. His face-off was too long. Yeah, you won't have to worry about that with this one. Not at all. And where can I obtain Commando? That's a good question. Let me check my action movie list. I just want to let the people know, the other classmates know where they can find it. Got it. I see it here on YouTube, Voodoo, and Amazon Prime. Does it come with Amazon Prime or do you have to pay for it? Probably chances are you're going to have to pay. I mean, also, Arnold would want you to pay, too. I'm sure he says that at some point. <laughs> he needs the royalties. He really does. 
Oh, you can also watch it on Tubi for free. Voila. Even better. Also, you introduced me to the magic of Roku. Yes, Roku Free TV. Yeah, they have some uh, free films on there as well. So thank you, Professor, for the resources. Not a problem. That's what I'm here for. Uh, I don't want people to pay top dollar for great uh, great entertainment. Just you. Everyone else wants people to pay. (laughs) I mean, I know how hard it is to be a student out there struggling, so I don't want you guys to uh, spend all your hard-earned bucks. Textbooks ain't cheap. Yeah, textbooks ain't cheap. Internet access ain't cheap. So with that, we will both head out of class today. Uh, thank you guys for listening to our uh, content. Thank you for listening to the class. Hope you learned something. Hope you uh, get out there and give Tintin a shot. And we will be back in the next class with Commando. Um, so with that, uh, class is dismissed. Uh, we will talk later. Sarah, see you then. Au revoir. You've been listening to the Fundamentals of Action Film 101 podcast, hosted by Christopher Carter and Sarah Carlin. Music composed by Michael Herron. Thank you for listening. <laughs>